Australia. Quay Cooper for the win. It's on its way. It's on its way. It's gone. Quay Cooper is the man. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Australian Rugby Royal Rumble Round 4. I'm your host, Ando. With me is Matt from Gold Digger Rugby. Hello. Harry and Nelson from Draft Rugby. Ahoy, how's it going? And we got Mitch as well, obviously from Pick and Drive Rugby. G'day. And we're hoping, we're hoping beyond hope that Rev from Rugby Fixation will be able to join us. He's currently in the midst of baby town and he may or may not be able to make it in a little bit later. But we are incredibly excited to be here with you tonight or today, depending upon when you are listening, to chat all things Super Rugby Pacific and to cheer on the Wallabies this weekend. If you're listening on audio, then just know that we are all wearing our Wallabies gear and Wallaroos gear as well, Mitch. Well done. Yep. Um, to cheer them on and kind of wish our team the best. So we've got a few things that we just wanted to get a bit of an update on. And I think most importantly, Matt, we're going to throw it over to you. We have been waiting for a long time, but a good long time. The anticipation is growing. The excitement is growing, growing, growing. Gold digger, search for Australian rugby. When are we going to be able to see it? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a great question and one I keep asking myself just about every other week, uh, or at least asking my distributor. Um, look, finally, we do have some clarity. It is going to be in September of this year. I'm going to make a formal announcement in probably just under a couple of weeks where we'll give all the full details, where people can watch it. Um, and that's in Australia. It'll be available. Other countries um, are hopefully going to get releases. But yeah, the, the film... film Distribution is a is a tricky beast, and it has taken a while to get this point. I, I would have loved it to be out earlier, but I guess in many ways, with the the season now really taking shape, with the Wallabies about to play, it seems like a nice time to actually probably um, release it. So hopefully, it fits in nicely in between maybe the uh, the, the England series and, and before the Bledisloe starts. That sounds very exciting. I mean, it did get released in South Africa, yes. It did, yeah, yeah. We had a release there on um, SABC, which was great. Um, it was it was funny getting a bit of reactions from people in South Africa, and um, yeah, funnily enough, there wasn't too many uh, spoilers or things coming out. I don't know, maybe it didn't quite sort of um, catch the crowd on Anzac Weekend in uh, in South Africa. <laughs> Well, either way, mate, we are stoked and cannot wait to go to what is going to be one of the hottest red carpets in town in that early <laughs> September release, without a shadow of doubt. Gold um, carpet, surely. <laughs> gold carpet, yeah. yeah, very good point. Um, Dales, you are the trailblazers of fantasy rugby within the Australian rugby circles. So can you give us an update? Who made it to the finals this year of your competition and uh, who, who took out the win? Nelson, do you want to talk? Yeah, man. Uh, look, I uh, had a trailblazing year right throughout the the year, led basically all the way through. And then I don't know if you guys play Mario Kart when you're really far behind and you just get the bullet and it takes you to the front. And, yeah, so someone <laughs> scraped past and, and got the win. But, I mean, I won most of the year. That's all that counts. So who's got the name on a trophy, Harry? No, no so one currently. It's, it's no the same one. name that's there pretty much every year. It's Harrison Dale once again <laughs> with his fifth title. Uh, how exciting. Well, congratulations to both of you. I guess one of you won when it counts. So well done. There's got to be an inquiry, um, uh, Nelson. Like this oh. is too – does lightning do strike twice year after year? I do the scores and I can assure you there's nothing sus. Five years running. Has there been any breakdancing or – 
Yeah, no, look, I've still got to learn, mate. It takes me more than five years to get no those worms going across the he, living room. He cannot dance. He cannot dance. Oh, so. And well, he can do is actually pick a fantasy woody side, unfortunately. Unfortunately for you, that's the case, yeah. Now, Mitch, you and I had our first experience and taste of fantasy rugby um, ever for this year. And how? what was your kind of takeaway? What was your experience like of this format? And, um, yeah, what, what can you kind of share with the adoring crowds who might be trying to get into fantasy rugby moving forward? Yeah, I think just, I mean, we're, we're very big rugby fans, so it's easy for us to to watch all six games or whatever it is, a weekend and and find something to be happy with. But for the fans who maybe watch their team and, and don't watch the other ones, fantasy is a great uh, outlet to get you involved in all the games because you've got players actually playing and they're getting you real life scores. So it definitely gives you that different element. I've done tipping for a few years and tipping's great because you sort of want them to to get the win for your tipping points. But I found fantasy just engages you that little bit more when uh, one of your players makes a break or gets a try, particularly if they're a prop, you, you're the one up and dancing around the living room and your family's wondering why you're cheering for a crusader who just scored. Yeah, I, um, I found myself getting irrationally angry at some of my strike outside backs when they went in to provide like rock cover. I'm like, no, no, get out, receive the ball, make the, make the break. What are you doing getting in and doing that dirty work? Just um, run, just yeah. run. Your in-depth yeah. understanding of every player and what they need to do to get your points is far superior after having a season of this. You know, like you look out for a certain winger just because you know he hogs it more rather than passes it. That's that's what you learn, you too, I reckon. That's what you'll be your forgetting. Opinion, yeah, your opinion of a ball hog completely switches. All of a sudden, they're your favourite player. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, it's finally got me actually watching and caring about the New Zealand teams. Lester Fanger and Nuku is oh. just my boy. And Kurt Eklund can do no wrong in my eyes. So <laughs> yeah. those two were just legends. But... Ladies and gentlemen, why don't we move on from our fantasy chat and actually get into the main course, as it were, for this evening, which will be the Super Rugby Pacific. Now that it's wrapped up, we want to do a bit of a discussion of how the season went, some of our suggestions or ideas for what the competition may look like in the future, particularly in light of Hamish McLennan's fairly controversial takes over the last fortnight or so. What we're going to start with, though, is a bit of a bit of a review of the competition as a whole. So obviously the Crusaders <clears throat> and the Blues fought out a final and the Crusaders took it away yet again. Um, I'm just going to put it out there. Is anybody else getting that feeling that Razor Robinson's breakdancing is pretty cringe or, or are we pretty happy about it? Look, I think if you just keep winning, you just keep dancing. He's had plenty of time to come up with some new dance moves, but he just knows he doesn't need to because if you keep winning, anyone that complains about it, you know, that's, that's on them. It's he's, sour he's, a leader, he's a winner. He can keep doing it all he wants. You just show him a trophy and say, "Just look at the trophy." That's it. <laughs> yeah. um, all right. I feel Matt's. like if he was, if he, if he was any decent at it, it would, it would actually, um, it'd be too, too cringe. Yeah. It's like it's like he's then put effort into it yeah. in the in the off season, yeah. which actually uh, suggests a whole level of career. I, I like the fact <laughs> that it's that it's like that daggy uncle that always gets drunk every Christmas and does the same dance. It's a nice <laughs> little uh, pleasant staple. Even though I don't want the Crusaders to be winning every year, it, there is something charm charming about it. <laughs> I, I completely agree. I, I love it. And it would be quite arrogant if he knew, learned new moves because it means that he expected to dance again. I think exactly. every year he's like, ah, oh, didn't expect this, better pull out the dance moves again. I reckon it's, it's good. It just shows his personality. I, I don't know why. People wouldn't be so upset if he didn't do it six years in a row. Yeah. Let's, let's, <laughs> he should be thanking that in the second year he didn't do different dance moves and then had to keep coming up with new ones. Like, thank True. goodness he just picked and stuck to the same moves. 
Look, this is the type of chat that we're here for within this breakdown of the, uh, the Super Rugby Pacific competition, Razor Robinson's dance moves. Now let's move across to the Australian sides. And what we're looking to do is have a bit of a discussion around whether or not the teams exceeded expectations, they met expectations, or they underperformed. So, Matt, I'm going to start with you. You've got the view from overseas mm. currently being based in England. W let's start from the top of the table um, actually, no, no, no. I'm just going to give it to you and say, which team do you think exceeded, met or underperformed that you really wanted to talk about and get into first? Look, obviously, I'd like to talk about the force because that's who I sort of usually barrack for and, and, and focus on. But I think if there was a team that improved the most, it has to be the Tars. I, 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 they, they stood out. They, they overperformed in my life for my, for my end, but maybe they didn't. Maybe I wasn't looking as closely as some of their results and players um, potential could have could have done they they definitely i think kind of <laughs> brought brought everyone back into loving the tars and i think it it certainly had an effect on the rest of the competition because it you know made it a lot harder for the force and rebels to to get that sort of uh hallowed third place <laughs> after the brumbies and and reds but like across the board i mean i've sort of done the the out of 10 and for me um the teams that i i'd say really the only the tars and brumbies get a, a pass mark for me this year the rest are all sort of, um, you know, a, a bit of a thumbs down just because yep. they either regressed or they didn't, um, you know, achieve the potential they could. Now we are going to go through and do a score out of 10 for each of the teams, but with the Waratahs striped off the ledger early and there are only four remaining contestants here being Waratahs fans, uh, I'm going to throw it across to Mitch and ask, mate, which team um, do you want to talk about next? Um, I think we'll go with the Brumbies and just talk about how, I think for me, they it, it's probably a little bit hard to say they overachieved because I think for the last few years, the Brumbies have been the benchmark for Australian rugby that we all expect them to perform well. And they went so far and got so close. Uh, I don't think we were all expecting them really to push the Blues as far as they did in that uh, semi-final. But realistically, they could have won it. They could have won that game. And if it weren't for a few calls, it didn't go their way. And then they're playing the, mm. the grand final against the Crusaders. and. If that were the case, I think we're all giving them a 15 out of 10 as an expectation that no one really saw an Australian team getting that far, but they didn't. And I think we're probably sitting, for me personally, around a, a seven or an eight. Yep. Okay. So basically we're saying that they're one penalty away, really, from getting into that final. Luke Reimer's just got to be reliving that moment and just seeing Ben O'Keefe just staring at him on the edge of that rock time and time again. Um, let's go, Nelson. You're next, mate. Who do you want to talk about? Two teams down. Um, and I'll, I'll talk about the Reds. Um, they're a hard one to assess because they had two, two seasons, I reckon, this year, and, and you can rate them both very differently. Uh, I, I ended up giving them a 5.5. I ummed and ahmed between a 5 and a 6. I've given them just over a pass because of I think they were very, very good in the first half of the season. Um, not good enough to get higher than this, but they were very good leading the way in the Australian sides at the, the AU to Trans-Tasman sort of crossover. But that back end of the season, and they just fell apart, being the only Aussie team to not get a win against the Kiwis, albeit with a lot of injuries, a lot of key injuries. And, and I think the thing out of that shown that they don't have the depth that we've thought they have been building. Um, so I, I have given them just over a pass, but they've, they've scraped through by the skin of the teeth. Yep. Thank you for that, Harry. The Western Force, man, I, I feel like 
You know, they're, they're always probably not the, the tip of everyone's tongues, but I think they're a big story this year. I think we were expecting a hell of a lot more from them than what we saw. They came third in Super Rugby AU last year and they were, I think, the most competitive side when, when it came to playing the Kiwis last year. They were so close every single week. I think the most consistent of all the Aussies. And, you know, I was hopeful pre-season that the Waratahs were going to come good. So, I, you know, but I was realistically expecting the force to be the third best Aussie side to probably take another step forward. I thought they'd made some good signings to kind of bolster the depth in their team. And I thought they were really underwhelming. I thought particularly once they made the announcement that their head coach had been let go, they seemed to lose any motivation to stay in games, albeit with the exception of the last game of the year. I thought they were the the real disappointment for the year, to be honest. I, I expected a lot more, and it probably is uh, reflected in, you know, the fact that none of them are in the Wallaby squad, so it's disappointing for their side. Yeah, and that's an interesting one because I think you could very easily talk about the Rebels and the um, poor quality of their season, but we didn't expect as much from the Rebels comparative to the Force. Uh, the Rebels were, without a doubt, the weakest team um, in terms of previous performance and and combined with playing roster that really lacks some depth in key areas too. And yeah. then the Force just didn't seem to be able to, with the announcement of Simon Cron coming in, continue any of their form whereas the rebels in a way started the season off incredibly poor had carter gordon at 10 which is what everybody had been shouting for and then when he had kind of one average game or a couple of average games subbed him out for matt to was one wasn't and, it that first was it game, just one it was round two i think yeah. they made that change yeah yeah, and then um, it was only when Matt Tuomua had a concussion that that forced them to bring Carter Gordon back in, and then their season began to improve with Tuomua outside him at 12, which is what all the kind of average pundits like us had been sh- shouting for and saying, and it seems that Kevin Foote finally listened. So in terms of the Rebels, I'd be, um, if we're giving them a rating, and I'll quickly go through and get you guys to give your teams a rating one more time, um, I personally, for the Rebels, would be saying about a four, um, but four out of ten, just because they had some improvements near the end of the season. But they beat uh, two Kiwi sides. That's surely got to give them some extra points when the Reds had. There, there were one before that, so yes, <laughs> they, they were they were very low down in my range. You were negative before figures before that point, <laughs> exactly. Um, so let's just quickly go back to Matt. Um, you were saying what was your ranking for the Waratahs? Uh, my ranking for the Tars is six out of ten. I thought it was a pass, but um, you know, sort of still plenty of room for improvement. It's a bit harsh. If we're going to talk 12, talk like school children, school yep. school teachers, oh yeah, twelve <laughs> out of ten. Um, no, six um, out of ten. I thought you summed it up nicely before. Yep, fair enough. Uh, I think I went to Mitch next. Uh, for the Brumbies. Yep. I think I said seven or eight. Okay, we'll go with eight. So it was we'll going go 7.5. Eight. Oh, eight, done. We'll go with eight. All right. Random. And Nelson, you already gave your 5.5 for the Reds, I believe. Correct. And then for the Force, Harry? Uh, for the Force, I want a, a two out of 10. You're a harsh marker, my friends, but it's Up deserved. There. Quite deserved. Um, so when we're looking ahead then, it is, it is really helpful at this point to reflect back on the competition. And this year was special in terms of the inclusion of the two new Pacifica teams in Moana Pacifica and the Fijian and Drua. And they added so much to the competition, particularly when they had the opportunity in the second half of the season to be playing some games at home. We saw a level of crowd engagement and passion, which the competition has honestly just been lacking uh, for the last few years, really. And Let's start off with you, Matt. Going back to you, 
What was your takeaway of the inclusion of these two new Pacifica teams? What did they add to it? And what are you looking forward to with their inclusion moving forward? Um, they, they added a real nice, obviously, diversity of play, the way that, you know, the Fijians have a style. I think the Samoan, um, Manu Samoan team, it sort of had that, I don't know, it, it, there was something about it with um, Christian Lefano in it, you know, re really made it nice. I, I felt he was playing in a different way that I'd seen him play in that structured Brumbies. He was obviously influenced by the players around him. Having, watching all these games from the UK, what I loved about the competition, and we might discuss this later when we talk about the future plans, was I'd get up on a Friday morning, make breakfast and watch games and do the same thing Saturday and if there was a game Sunday. So for me, following, it was really easy to follow the competition and watch most of the games because, you know, you basically just had a three, four-hour window every week at the regular time and it, the old super rugby days of sort of having to move around and shift your calendar just weren't even a yeah. thing. And to, to have, you know, to see different teams uh, from different parts of the Pacific play each other, it was just a real treat. You know, we haven't really ever experienced that. So I actually thoroughly enjoyed it. Despite the Australian teams perhaps not doing as well as I would have hoped, um, I thoroughly enjoyed the competition for what it was. Dales, is that similar for you? Yeah, look, I think they really gave a breath of, you know, new life into Super Rugby. We've talked about it for so long, you know, hoping to get some Pacific sides into into the competition they've given so much to super rugby they've given so much to international rugby over you know the the history of rugby so it was about time that we saw them included and and i think they had an outstanding both sides an outstanding year very very different um in terms of how they built into the year the Ndrua, you know lots of boys from the islands giving them a lot of chances and, and a lot of those guys working their way into the the actual fiji and uh, flying Fijian squad and then for Moana you know they had this combination of you know Kiwis with that sort of Pacific heritage and some old boys that you know were were very experienced so they both were very different in how they built their squads but they were both very entertaining and you know played that Pacific sort of brand of, of footy exciting fast you know big hits really threatened the the top teams at parts throughout the year so they were great inclusion i reckon I think yeah, it's absolutely. fair to say for both teams to enter that competition and walk away with at least one or two wins i think but they both got a couple of wins that's a pretty massive effort really because it's yeah. not a easy competition to and, and you know one of those wins came from um kiwi team the hurricanes yeah of, yeah of uh moana so you know like huge effort really it was i, I think they massively overachieved overachieved i think they were arguably the most fun teams to watch in the entire competition. <clears throat> and the other thing that really resonates with me is Moana Pacifica, when they picked that side, I thought this is the sixth New Zealand super rugby team and it's the bunch of the Kiwi players or, you know, obviously Islander Heritage Kiwi players that haven't made it yet and this is going to be their way of trying to get a contract for a New Zealand side. And then come the end of the season, I, I think it's 13, don't quote me exactly, but I think it's 13 players in the Samoan squad and 13 players in the Tongan squad. So how much that has actually, I, I guess, meant to them and, and the pathway that it has created for the Samoan and Tongan players and obviously for the Ndrua side as well, it's, um, it's fantastic. And I, I guess it's the perfect result, the perfect way to end what is a fantastic debut Super Rugby season for both sides. And I think one and thing think that often a bit of a credit. gets overlooked <laughs> if you look back on this season uh, there's got to be an asterisk put against this Moana team because 
out of everyone in the competition, they had the most disrupted preparation. They have a new team that came together in November last year, a few months of uh, time together as a team gelling and, and pre-season before they're into the comp. And then was it five or six games that they had throughout the season cancelled and shoved together with three, day, uh, with three games in the space of a week? Um, it's just crazy to think that they didn't really get the consistency of selection and, and turnover that some of the other super sides did really get. And I think we saw that. And the fact that they went on to beat the Hurricanes and then the Brumbies in their last game of the year, two massive, massive uh, victories for them. And you could see that in the players and the coaching staff when they got those victories. But um, yeah, massive year coming up next year. I think if we can hopefully get a good uh, prep for Moana and, and get an undisrupted season for them, there's no reason why they can't be up there pushing for the playoffs. Many more games for that little at home because boy, yep. those crowds look wild. Mm. Yeah. How they many trees did we lose trees and yeah. on nearby rooftops like that? That's just what you love to see. Yeah. And I mean, that takes us really easily into kind of the next point that we wanted to talk about, which was what our expectations are for 2023, knowing that that's where our current kind of broadcasting mm. partnership deal is taking us up to the end of next season. Uh, what are we hoping for within the competition? And what are some of the ideas for improvement moving forward? Um, I'll throw this one to Harry first, because I've picked on Matt the last couple of times. Harry, what are some of the ideas that you think we can be looking forward to or moving forward with with Super Rugby Pacific next year? Well, the first one's obviously an Aussie winner. That'd be a great start. That'd be great. Let's lock it in now. If we, if we move on from that, I think what we missed out on this year was the cross-contamination of the Aussies and the Kiwis from the very beginning of the tournament. I don't mind the Super Rugby AU and Aotearoa start, but I think it will be really good for all the sides to have a mix of Aussie and Kiwi sides throughout the season, which might change, I guess, the intensity of the run of some of those games. Um, and and I, I think that's going to make a big, big difference. And as Nelson said, I think some home games for the, the two new sides as well is going to be a huge draw. So that's probably the two things I'm crossing my fingers for. Yep. Mitch? Um, yeah, like like Harry was saying, I think it's it's always going to be different to kind of see how the Australian teams cope with that back and forth, full integration of Super Rugby, like we've seen in in the last few years. Well, in in its old form, we haven't in the last few years had that uh, one week New Zealand team, one week back to Australia, and see if that can actually change some of the preparation for these teams, but also the way that they build their season. So, um, yeah, very much shadowing his his thoughts in that one um yeah i guess are we talking about the future post 2023 or are we looking immediately nope. at 2023 nope. just 2023 nelson you wanted to jump in there mate yeah look, i think one of the big things with how it's i i love the idea of having a super au if it is that but to go all the aussie games and then by the time the the reds got to the kiwi matches they had all these injuries and that was against all the kiwis like with some of those injuries, they probably would have got a couple wins against Aussie sides and their season could have looked very different if all those injuries weren't there against Kiwis. Um, so I, I think it's a fairer reflection of a season if you are crossing over right the way through. One injury doesn't mean, you know, you're, you're missing those players against all the top sides. You know, it might be against, you know, a lesser side one week and a better side the next week and it's just the luck of the draw. And I guess the other flip side of that argument is that the Reds would be saying that this year, through their successful AU championship, mm-hmm. they made the playoffs. And if they didn't have that good run of form and got those points early in the season, by the time they got to Trans-Tasman, they didn't win any games, yet they still made the top eight. So it didn't help them when they played the Crusaders two weeks and then got kicked out. But 
who might have seen alternatively if it was sort of interspersed that they wouldn't have even made the top eight if they're falling away well, in that I, last half. I, to be honest, I don't I don't see it going that way. I, I think they would have been pressing the the lesser Kiwi sides a lot more earlier on in the season, and I yeah. still think they would have beaten the Rebels. They would have you know with their their injuries of those top sides. So. It can go both ways, for sure. But that confidence (laughs) dropped significantly when it was week after week with those missing players against the top side. Yeah. And having to bring in someone like um, Wilson or Hudson Crichton, I always forget there are two of them. Wilson um, Crichton to come up against the Kiwi, come up against Kiwi teams week after week. It's so hard for a player to be able to step up in that type of environment. Whereas if they're playing some of the honestly just weaker Australian teams, it gives him a, an easier uh, stepping stone into Super Rugby as an experience. But one of the really key things that's come out in the last couple of weeks has been some pretty inflammatory comments by Hamish McLennan, the Rugby Australia chairman, who has spoken um, publicly about the fact that in the new kind of broadcast negotiations that are going to be happening in regards to the 2024 broadcast deal, that all options are on the table. It's a clean sheet of paper um, that they might consider a domestic solution to uh, Australian rugby, that they might well just cut themselves adrift of New Zealand rugby. Now, there's an element to which I think this was deliberately inflammatory. Uh, It must be said that it's not like this news was delivered by media First, it was announced in person and discussed in person at dinner between the respective um, heads of New Zealand rugby and Australian rugby. But Matt, I wanted to start with you. When you heard this information that came out here in terms of um, Hamish McLennan kind of maybe putting a boot in a little bit to New Zealand rugby, did you kind of stand up and go, yeah, somebody standing up for Australian rugby? Or are you just responding with a, uh, hey, what are you doing? We don't need this type of chat out in the public. Um, yeah, look, I want to know what sort of drugs they're smoking down at Moore Park because I just think um, it's absolutely, I think it's lunacy to tell you the truth. If we, I take the, the, the fair enough that you want to negotiate as best as you can for Australian rugby and that no, no one would sort of begrudge them. I'm sure the Kiwis wouldn't. Why you want to play this out in the public when we've seen what public controversies do um, and, and playing a game of chicken against New Zealand when, yes, we have money and a future windfall now. Uh, but they are obviously far more valued than us by broadcasters. They have a private equity partner that's just come in and is going to be boosting whatever plans they intend to make. And we've just started, for goodness sakes, we're only one season in to this new competition, which I think we've all agreed is, is a breath of fresh air and certainly is probably the best chance this region, and when I say this region, Australian Pacific New Zealand region has of creating a competition that can stand up against European leagues and, and, and Japan and the US. So I just don't know why they're, they're doing this. And it's sort of disappointing that they're trying to um, play it out so publicly because I just don't think that ever really ends very well. Harry, do you agree with the general sentiment in terms of um, some of the figures that were talked about were how uh, there's an imbalance within a broadcast revenue between RA and New Zealand rugby, with New Zealand rugby receiving 89 million per year from Sky, RA only gets 33 million a year with Nine and Stan. Um, with, with that as the basis of the comments that were being made, did, did you kind of sympathise with what um, McLennan was putting out there? I think McLennan was hoping for a Johnny Depp, Amber Heard level scene uh, playing out in public. So, you know, any publicity is good publicity. So I can only assume that's what he was targeting. But I um, look, I, to be honest with you, 
I think New Zealand has been very difficult to work with for a long period of time. So I can understand their frustration. And they, I think they feel like they've just been batting, batting their heads against the wall for year after year and not making much headway. So I can understand why he's decided to do it. And personally, you know, I'm, I'm happy to have someone standing up for us. I don't necessarily think we are going to go away from them. But to be honest, I, I think Matt won't agree with me, but I wouldn't mind if they did have a go as well. I just think the model right now isn't the right model for Australia. I can understand that we need a few teams playing together, but the market isn't really being captured with what Australia is being offered at the moment. And back when we had the Tri-Nations, you had South Africa, New Zealand, and you had Australia, the biggest uh, funds were coming in from the South Africa media deal. And yet we were roughly getting a third each. Exactly a third. They changed it to exactly. A it was exactly we, a we, third. We, we, the, the, the history of that was a third because we, we got, when we had three teams in 96, we were getting, I think, 21%. And over time, once they got to, when oh, the Rebels fine. came in, you had mm-hmm. Super 15, three ta- three, every country had an even number. So they get a fair split. And yep. that held up until COVID when obviously now, when New Zealand, and that, that held up until New Zealand were getting paid more. <clears throat> well, we lost, well, no, we but, lost but, I think, but, $20 million co- dollars or so. Is that right, for, co- Well, we lost, yeah, I mean, whatever was taken out in 2020, they, they were able to play to the end of that broadcast deal. But then, you know, this is, I guess this is the point is that what I'm sort of saying is that I, I, we, we can only blame ourselves that our, our product has devalued in the last decade. We can't blame New Zealand. And granted, the old deal was a partnership arrangement, but that was based on an even number of teams, um, I guess, all the test matches that were built into that. Once COVID came along, it did seem as though every country was trying their own thing. The South Africans decided to leave. New Zealand were testing the waters with their own domestic comp. And it seemed as though both countries realised we can't do this alone. We need to work together. But obviously, the Kiwis didn't want five Australian teams. And I've got to ask, you've got to say, guys, are we proving them wrong at the moment if you go through the last few years? There's a fair point to say, look, you guys need to either get five good teams or you need to start considering reducing the number of teams that look, play in this competition. I, I am, I, for a little while, I, I had the same thought process, but now I'm completely on the opposite of that. You know, Australian rugby cannot shrink to, to grow into the future. We have this golden opportunity with lots of money coming in through the Lions lots of eyeballs, lots of money coming in through the World Cup and a lot more eyeballs coming in through that period of time. I don't buy that we don't have the, the talent here to have a couple more teams. Yes, I know it's a different discussion when we talk about cohesion and, and how that affects the Wallabies, but I just don't buy it because I watch rugby league regularly and most of the players, honestly, they actually are pretty crappy footy players. They have a couple key special players in every single team, and the other guys just work hard. But they're not competing against other crappy that's, teams. They're competing against the Kiwi sides, mate. They no, have that's, 23 that's, See, this is what I'm saying. In a domestic comp, it is different. We, we showed that there's definitely an appetite for domestic comp through Super Rugby AU, and, and people love to throw out, oh, it was, it was during COVID. People were at home watching, you know, sport and just want to watch sport. I don't, I don't buy it because, I mean, I didn't watch more any other sport throughout that period mm-hmm. of time. People just actually connected to a competition where there was going to be an Aussie winner. We saw Aussie sides each week and people bought into it. You know, no one was to see you losing. We've fallen into this. Yeah, I agree. But I, and look, I think we've fallen into this trap before where we've said, we're going to go and do something or we're going to expand or we're going to try and create something new without fully knowing what the market actually is going to give us. And to, to, to go into a, a domestic competition now based on how many teams, whoever those teams would be, 
uh, without thinking it through, without having a plan and publicly saying it via journalists, I just think is, I don't know, it just kind of reeks of hubris and I just don't think it's a smart move. And, you know, yes, we want to try and keep five teams. We don't want to shrink. But if you want to do that, then we've got to put some thought into that third tier. And that mm. should be where the focus is, not going, going back and tug of war with, with New Zealand. And that raises a really good point of questions, uh, which I think is kind of where this conversation is going. And I deliberately set that up because I knew that Nelson and Matt had wildly divergent opinions on that. <laughs> Can I say that. one so quick thing for... before we move I, on? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if we're wildly <laughs> divergent. I think we just, I think we all want the same thing and we sort of broadly agree on the, the, the end point. It's, this is the yep. classic yep. case of Australian rugby. Everyone's got a different strategy as to how to get to that endpoint. And it's and like somebody should make a documentary about, about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be good. Hopefully, people would watch it. Um, Mitch, you wanted to jump in, mate? I just wanted to say before we moved on to the next point and talking about what would be the best model for Australian rugby, um, I think there's two points really that highlight that needs to be highlighted. First of all, this was broken by Fox Sports by Christy Doran. So I don't know if there's. I mean, obviously, um, Hamish McLennan had sat down and had conversations with him, but the timing around that is very much uh, suspect of getting that exclusive out in the same week as the Super Rugby final. So I think there's a little bit of uh, gamemanship there by Fox Sports. The second point is, when you actually read the article, Hamish McLennan doesn't specifically say, this is what we want to do. He's just using this as an opportunity to say... Uh, the relationship between New Zealand rugby and Australian rugby hasn't been great over the last few years. They're getting a lot, a much bigger pick piece of the pie currently um, than what Australia is. He's just saying that we need to start thinking what works best for us in terms of a commercial prospect. And what he was saying in this, he doesn't necessarily say we want to have to go and do a domestic competition. We want to make a, we want to have an agreement with New Zealand rugby. And what he even said in that article is that when they were uh, negotiating Super Rugby Pacific. Rugby Australia wanted a five-year deal and New Zealand said, no, we want two. And even now, they've been trying to talk about what the plan is for 2024 post-next year. And Australian rugby wants their plans made. They want to know what's happening so they can promote it. New Zealand rugby hasn't come to the table yet and started those negotiations. So I think that's where he's that, coming from in that regard. You do wonder if that two-year deal was geared around, obviously, the World Cup, but also their Silver Lake private equity which is a massive thing like that's a lot of money and that is going to determine a lot of things and if if private equity are trying to acquire it they want to acquire it cleanly without having to sort of take on other deals that they're locked into that they may not necessarily agree with and i feel like that's the thing that and hamish mcclennan should know he's from a private you know equity you know media background he should know that those guys aren't going to mess around if they invest in it and they say hey we want you guys to have less than five teams, well, they're going to put their money down to do that. And if we, if, if New Zealand rugby wanted to walk away with Moana Pasukula and the Jua, they could. They could have got the money to, to bankroll them and take over the, the, the bill that Australia is putting into helping the, the Fijian Flyers. All they need is one more team and they've got a nice eight-team competition. And which team in Australia has the, the, the ability to leave and do their own thing? Well, I guess what, in my opinion, so, what so I, like I this, feel... They, this could end very, very badly if they basically stay stupid things and keep doing what I, they're doing. I honestly, I appreciate what you're coming for, but I don't, I don't buy it. I mean, Fiji and Drua have been bankrolled by us, supported by us right from the beginning, not by New Zealand. Yes, New pa- Zealand... Pa- partly us and World Rugby. We, we yes, yeah, yeah, of course. But 
I mean, we, we bought them the change that was spent the last how yeah. many years trying to support them and brought them into the NRC and, and have done actually yeah. a, a far more than New Zealand ever have even thought about for Fiji. Right? But, but, so but, I, but, I money, but money money, talks and if we don't have the cash money does and we talk, won't have the cash. Money does talk, but how secure would they feel if New Zealand rugby, who are getting you know all their decisions made by a private investor, Next minute, say, you know what, Fiji aren't that entertaining. Or Fiji have to play all the games in New Zealand now. Or, you know, they, they want to feel secure by, you know, a, a business model that is all about doing whatever suits them and pushing everyone else around. I don't, I don't think that is a secure place to work. I, I look, I, I don't think they're going to be sort of suggesting they play all their games in New Zealand. I just think at the end of the no, day, you're, 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 going, you're going against, yeah, but they don't have the infrastructure yet to have the games that Fijian have. Maybe that will happen in the next couple of years. And maybe that would happen if you've got a, a New Zealand comp that's well-funded backing you. But it just, this is why I just, I'd scratch my head because I just don't know but what, what high ground does Australian rugby other than a future windfall um, uh, to, to have and start making these sorts of uh, demands on... I, think, on, when, well, when I, I personally think that well Rugby Australia is kind of in the box seat here because okay. we've shown that we can go and do our own domestic competition. The AFL and the NRL are going you gangbusters in Australia. We could do that and be all right. Ap- we don't apple, need... Apples and oranges and pears. You can't but we don't. We don't need... We don't contained need... indigenous competitions with a global competition that relies on international teams. I mean, we're talking about two different not- things then if we're talking about success of the Wallabies. But all I'm saying is if we moved away from New Zealand, we could, we've shown through rugby, uh, uh, Super Rugby AU that we had a product that succeeded and survived in that own little ecosystem. So we could do I'm, it. I'm if talking New about Zealand Super pulled, Rugby too, man. If New no Zealand one, Rugby no pulled No one the, in the UK. Yeah. Sorry, you finish. You finish. I was just going to say, if, super, if New Zealand Rugby turned around and said, we don't want Australian Rugby at all, we could go and do our own thing, and I think we would be quite successful in that because we've seen through the other sports that in Australia, the Australian sporting fan doesn't really give a crap about the New Zealand teams. They don't want to see the Waratahs play the Hurricanes. They, when you go to the Waratahs and Hurricanes game, it's Hurricanes fans that are there showing up. It's not Waratahs fans who are there. When you go to a Waratahs and Reds game, Waratahs fans will go because they want to see the Waratahs beat the Reds. They don't really care about the Hurricanes. Um, so I. I think that we could do that in our own little ecosystem. We don't necessarily need New Zealand rugby. If they pulled we, away we from do, us, we, though, who are they going to play? We do, as I just said, I reckon they will, they will go after Pacific, Moana Pacifica, they'll go after the draw, and they'll put expressions of interest to get, uh, they'll either create a third um, Pacific team or they'll put expressions of interest for clubs to come in. Don't, don't have reckon they have it, it on their, their 30s going down dramatically, so... Yeah, maybe, but like we, if we think that anyone around the world is going to be remotely interested in Australian domestic competition, we're, we're, you know, in the and words of the castle, at, we're dreaming. At, at and and that is now. Un- we're not getting the money from huge overseas. I was going to say, what's, what's, our, our broadcast but, but, but revenue but, will go up because we have more domestic games. We have, you know, domestic partners, the broadcasting partners that would be happier. And it will be a more entertaining competition. I think our money will definitely increase. The TV ratings will drop. Do we get money? That's assuming that people will start wanting to watch it but they, at a they much did higher when they did rate. But we, they did when we did it last year. But that was domestic that people were watching it. But we ever had international I think to work off one season and a few games... But we're, but we're, we're working on, on one season and during, especially during a very unusual period. 
But we're working off 25 years of failure with Super Rugby currently. We haven't grown. We've gone backwards yeah. in performance. We've gone backwards in terms of like revenue. The We've backwards in ability to hold players. Yeah. We haven't grown. We're not going anywhere forward except we've got some good depth coming through in the last couple of years. That's our one positive. All right, I'm going to jump in here, guys, because we've, we're having really good conversation around what this could look like moving This forward. is what we're here for. And and it's good. It's yeah. great. It's genuine, genuine, yeah, good rumble, where we all have Where's slightly, slightly Bring divergent Rev opinions. Wait, let me talk. Uh, <laughs> where we've got slightly diverging opinions, where we're all aiming, like Matt was saying, for what we think is a good direction for Australian rugby moving forward. And it's great to have these ideas out there. So knowing that in 2023, we have the current iteration of Super Rugby Pacific. Um, and then in 2024, there's there's a little bit of um, potential for change. It may well be another shorter term, maybe two-year extension of the current arrangement to take us through till maybe the end of 2025, end of the Lions tour, who knows. But in any case... What I'd like us to do is to go around and for people just to give almost like a one minute elevator pitch of what they would be hoping for of a competition moving forward. Now, my rules for this are there is no interjections or critique. It is simply this is what I think a good uh, direction for Australian rugby is moving forward. And uh, this is my quick reason why. Okay, so knowing that we've just had a bit of a unpacking of some of the different complexities and challenges of domestic, international competitions, broadcast engagements, all that jazz. Um, Harry, can we start with you, please? What are you thinking the competition should look like 2024 and onwards? I think we need a mainstay Australian competition that fans can get behind. I think the only way fans will be reliably going to get behind the competitions if we use the existing super rugby sides i think they obviously need to get that up to probably eight to ten teams if that's what they're going to do but then i i would never want to abandon new zealand rugby and the rest of the islands as well i would love some sort of championship cup on the back of that my worry is that if we have eight australian teams we're going to get torched by the kiwi sides every year so potentially we can bring up a level turn super rugby au into third tier and maybe put two or three teams into a, a short knockout tournament on the back end that helps build a bit of cohesion for the Wallabies. That's probably where my head's at now. Yeah, cool. Cool ideas. Mitch? Um, go with Nelson. I think my idea is very similar to his one, so I don't want to steal mm. his thunder. All right, Nelson. Thunder Final, away. Very. I mean, I think we're, we're pretty much in the same sort of time. Yeah, I, I think you have to have a domestic winner in Australia, and I, I think it did wonders for us last year, um, eyeballs and, and talk through the media. So I think we have to have a winner in an Australian competition. And I think that means right now it's probably the five Aussie teams. It's Fiji and Drua, and it might be uh, another two teams brought in um, or, or built through New South Wales and, and uh, Queensland. Um, play everyone twice, then you do a semi and your final. And then I think we have a Super Rugby Pacific uh, Champions Cup and I think that means X amount of teams from Australia X amount of teams from Japan X amount of teams from New Zealand and the Pacific come together in almost a mini World Cup structure you've got three team pools you play each one once or twice depending how many games you want to make out of the year and then you funnel through so you bring in lots of revenue from a very exciting competition with no boring games we still have crossover with Kiwis um, but you're not having to play necessarily as many, so you're not getting beaten down repetitively by Kiwis. 
um, and we get a domestic winner. So I think it's all the things we need. All right, Mitch? Yeah, mine's very similar to that idea of having this sort of champions tournament at the end of the season so that we do have, we still have our uh, rugby AU component where we get that domestic winner. But then we don't need to see the Force or the Rebels go up against the Crusaders because realistically, who needs to see a 60-point drumming? Um, that's not doing anything for the players. That's not doing anything for the product or the game. So if we put two or three teams, the top two or three teams from that domestic competition into that Champions Cup tournament, I think that would be really um, exciting for the the fans, but also really exciting for the players because we still have that um, that crossover element. We still have to face the Kiwis, but we're not necessarily um, getting our lower teams that aren't. Like if we look at the force this year, they haven't got a lot of representation from the Wallabies. Um, if you're looking at a team like the Brumbies or the Reds, we've got so much more representation there. Um, even the Waratahs. So those three teams and the Brumbies um, would you theoretically on paper, they should push the Kiwis a lot more and it's probably a more even competition in that regard. Matt. Um, Super Rugby Pacific, uh, drop an Australian team. The team would be dropped would be the Rebels. That gives you an 11 team competition, two rounds, which is 20 rounds. Um, the Rebels would then move down to a third tier semi-professional competition, eight teams. Uh, the Vikings from Canberra, Perth Spirit Gold, whether they want to call themselves, and the Rebels, and then five teams from probably three from New South Wales, two from Queensland. They're all feeders to the Super Rugby four teams atop, and those teams from New South Wales and Queensland could either be the old NRC teams. I know the the Rams are sort of I've got two talking to two fans from the Rams, or you could go to some of the bigger, more established clubs that have both commercial backing infrastructure clubs like Sydney Uni, Gordon, and see if they want to basically create a super team on top of their existing club. And that would play underneath Super Rugby. You could probably play it and overlap. So you have weeks where you're watching, you know, Super Rugby matches and also um, Super Rugby AU or you know, National Club Competition, whatever you want to call it. And it basically allows guys to filter down and below. I think you've got enough opportunities for people to watch both New South Wales and one of these clubs. Uh, it would take time, but like anything, we've just got to kind of choose something and stick with it and not yep. keep changing yep. every two or three years. Yep. Yeah, cool. Sorry, um, and, I, and the, re- the, the reason I'd keep the force in is because they're privately owned, so it would be yep. less of a financial strain on RA. Yep. No, that's mm. a really good point. Yep. Love yep. the background. That's tough right in there. How good. Um, <laughs> so... By the way, for anybody audio, we've got the Nelson, we've got the Dales, the Nelsons. <laughs> um, I'm changing the backgrounds to fit the topic that is currently in play. That's awesome. Um, so for me, I actually really like both of the uh, options that have been put forward. And like Matt finished his comment with there, I wouldn't actually be too fussed as long as it was a, it, as long as it was a pick and stick model. Um, you you have or one, you have really model. good yeah pick and drive model. Um, <laughs> you have one. You, you conduct a large amount of uh, both kind of research into organizational structures and all that cohesion stuff that Penny Darwin loves to chat about. Um, and then you look into the, what the market is willing to be paying for these different op- options, and then you just stick with it for the next 10 years. And that is the model we choose going forward. No more chopping and changing. And I, think uh, I think there's uh, a, point, a, a point there I've got to just make about cohesion. I think this idea that cohesion can be quickly gained in half a season or so, that's true. But the best results come from five, six, ten years of a, sta- of a, of a, of a system that just hasn't been meddled with. And when yep. you look at the most cohesive teams and clubs around the world, Ireland, Len- I, with Leinster, I was having the just Crusaders, 
there has not been much deviation at all in their systems. And that's allowed them to build and build so that they have not just one good solid golden class, but they have great people coming through into a system. Australia, other than maybe the Brumbies, we haven't had uh, a, a great system whereby guys come in and, you know, it's nice and solid. There's yeah. just been so much chopping and changing yeah. with our NAC, ARC, um, the disruption with the, the super rugby calendars that, you know, for me, for the next 10 years with the World Cup and beyond the World Cup, all I want is for them to put in something that's a system that doesn't then have to change and that goes towards creating, uh, you know, cohesive clubs that are going to be consistent. Don't have to win every year, just play consistent. It'd be nice to have Australian teams consistently in the top half of the table um, the next five years. I was just going to say, if we stick to that, to the current format of Super Rugby Pacific moving forward, I'd love to see that idea that you brought up on our pod a few weeks ago, Ando, of the trophy and plate or whatever they call it. So top half the comp plays for one thing, second half or bottom half plays for something else, just so it keeps something alive. Or if not even that model, just something kind of like the, uh, what did they used to call it? The Horn Little Shield in the NRC or the um, Rand Furley Shield in New Zealand that... Um, cycles through and just make some of those games a little bit more exciting and a bit more fan engagement. Well, I think it is time for us to move on to the um, the question around the Wallabies because we've been talking for a long time now about what Australian rugby could look like moving forward. It's great to consider the hypotheticals of what future rugby could be, but... Um, what this really draws us into is what do we want for the Wallabies team moving forward, really? And it, it asks us a big questions around the shape of Super Rugby, whether we want domestic success or whether we're looking for international success on a broader stage. Um, do we want the Wallabies to be the best team in the world or do we want a successful domestic competition with heaps of fans and great engagement turning up each week? Uh, Harry, what are you thinking about this? I just think it's going to be really hard to do both, to be honest with you. Personally, living in Australia, I want more people interested in the game. And I see that. And I think that if we have enough of a backing and enough of a fan base, enough money, then it means that we are more competitive with the other major codes in Australia. And that is that means that we can get more top level talent playing our game instead of rugby league. So I feel like that's the only way that we can eventually have both. Um, so for me, I want domestic success and a, and a domestic competition that fans love and our ratings go through the roof first. That would be exciting. I'd love to be kind of top of the ratings week in, week out. Um, let's move on to the Wallabies. We've had the Wallabies. Squad been announced. Ned Hannigan's been brought into the <laughs> extended squad with an injury to Jed Holloway. So everything is right in the world with Ned Hannigan being back in the Wallabies. <laughs> and we have a match coming up this weekend in Perth against England. The first of the three match series. It's going to be one of the biggest uh, series on Australian shores in a long time. So we're going to go through and preview this upcoming game. Now, what I want us to start with is just... A really basic talk around the team. We've actually gone through and suggested our own team for the uh, our own 23 for the weekend. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read it out. And then I don't believe, Matt, you had any input into the creation of this team. So because the rest of us were chatting through it, then yeah. I want to hear, do you agree with us? Who would you be swapping in? Basically, we want to hear your criticisms and critiques, if required, or your ardent and fervent praise about our genius. So feel free to choose either one. Basically, 
I'm either going to be Alan Jones or Nick McArdle. We'll see how which one I am. Mate, please be Nick McArdle. Please don't ever be Alan Jones. Um, so we're going to go yeah, front row of Bell, Parecki and Ala Alatoa. Then Swain and Philip in the engine with Valentini, Hooper and Wilson as a back row combo. We move then into... Actually, let's start with the forward pack and I'll go the bench forwards as well with Faingaa, Co, Slipper, Frost and Samu on the bench. Personally, I wanted to take Frost out and put Hannigan in, but I got shattered down. Um, so that's our forward pack. And what do you think of that so far? Sorry, you give me that bench again? I was just... It was Fyengar, CO, Slipper, Frost, Samu. Ah, oh, Samu, yeah. That is very, very close to, I think, the team that I mentioned in our chat. In terms of the starting eight, I, I was pre. I, I had Alatoa, might have had Alatoa and um, CO slipped. I think I started CO on the, as a starter, but it was pretty much the same. I mean, the back line, that back row, I think, is, is solid against any team in the world. Um, Wilson, Hooper, and, and Valentini. Uh, locks is also, it's hard, but I think you've got to go with guys that have proven at international level. So Philip and Swain for me, um, mate, you know, and Parecki's had a great season. Now, let's face it. Hooker, I think is still up for grabs. I, I might have to, I, I, well, yeah, I won't, I won't, um, I won't, I'll leave my, my controversy. I'll probably give it away. My controversial wallaby pick for next year, <laughs> uh, to, to replace our hooker. Uh, troubles, but like Hooker Troubles, he's had a good year, so I think he yep. certainly deserves a start. But uh, right. you know, it's a pretty solid, solid um, choice. Moving on to the back line, then White at nine, Quade Cooper at 10, Colin Bette at 11, Karevi at 12, 13 is Ikatau, 14 Kellaway, and 15 is Banks with McDermott, James O'Connor, and Pattaya on the bench. Why is Banks in the team? I've got to ask. Because he's the What's best fullback in Australian rugby this season. But, it, but, but yeah, but, you know, he's, he's not going to be available next year. If now's the time to try Kellaway or Pattaya at fly uh, full, fullback, I'd or say that's the time. Or, or James, James O'Connor, O'Connor, as recent comments have put out there. I think, I think that's yeah. where the question arises then. Is it like, do, we, do you go with Banks thinking that he's maybe our best chance to win this series? Or do you go with someone mm. like Pattaya um, thinking that, you know, that's that's what we're going to need for the Rugby World Cup and he, he could be the guy there next year. It's not going to be James O'Connor back next year. Surely not. I, Craig Cooper's, uh, I'd put my money on it, is not going to be, be a part of the finals. Yeah, Craig yeah. Cooper will not I, be starting finals next year in the World Cup. I, I would suggest Bill is going to be in that squad next yeah. season. Um, and, and I did actually wonder whether he would be one of the overseas picks or whether they mm. could pick him with the, with the whether they could pick him outright because he's already signed for New South Wales. He could, yeah. He's injured. Yeah, he's, he's injured. injured. That's right. why. But he might be uh, ready. Go. He might be good come the rugby champs. I, I heard a whisper. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, look, it, perhaps there's a bit of a bit of um, uh, Rennie, Rennie trying to pick the team that's going to win in the series. I can get that. And Banks is certainly it's the perennial Banks thing, right? He plays really well every year in Super Rugby and then just doesn't quite have that same impact, um, I think overall when he plays the Wallabies. But, mate, maybe this could be the year he, uh, he bucks the trend. Can I ask a question to all you guys? What does, it mean, yes. what does it mean for Australia if we lose this series? Like, is it, I, I, I personally feel like the pressure's on Eddie Jones in England to win this series, and if they don't, then he's, he's seriously looking at potentially being replaced. Um, but do we, is, that, is there as big a, a pressure on Australia to win? I think there's two ways it can go for Rennie. I think Rennie can 
go all out to win this series. And if he loses it, it looks bad. And then we're up in the air about who do we pick for the Rugby World Cup. If he's picking banks and things at that, you know, fullback and we we don't succeed, I think that's a, that's a failure. But if he ends up going, I'm going to build for the World Cup, I'm putting Pattaya there, mm. he gets a little bit more leeway. I, I still think you need at least one win and then no games can get away from us. I, I really think we should be expecting two wins. But... I think there is that approach. Eddie Jones is very well known for building for a World Cup. So if we're if yeah. we're trying to win this series and we don't win it, I think that's a bad look. I just think we need to start to make some or continue, I should say, to make some steps in the right direction. And we, we would want to be very competitive if we lost. Having said that, I feel like this debate is about if we're worrying about the World Cup or this series hinging mm-hmm. on if we pick banks or not, which might be <laughs> too 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 much importance put on one position. We can build cohesion with the other 14 or 22 men in the match day squad and then still yeah. bring Pattaya in later through the year and uh, and still see plenty of benefits to our side. So I, I think maybe it's not as important as we might be playing enough. Hey, Rennie might pick him next year. He might pick Banks from Japan. He definitely won't. No. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, look, obviously neither coach wants to lose, but I actually think they both can afford to lose, i.e. Yeah. I don't think yeah. their job's on the line. Um because uh, exactly as Nelson said, Eddie's a fairly cunning master at these sorts of things. He would have spoken to the RFU and laid out his four-year plan and maybe there's been a few blips on the way. And I think Rennie's certainly got and should have the, the, um, the flexibility to, to try and you know, build towards next, next year. Mm. Mate, if, if this year's a, a, an utter disaster and they don't get nowhere in the World Cup, maybe review. But as I've always said about coaches, maybe they need to review other things and not put, <laughs> pin everything on the coach. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, we if, if you guys go through and watch the Squidge Rugby um, analysis of the recent Six Nations um, season for England Rugby, he is just masterful in the way that he unpacks the attacking patterns and shape that Eddie Jones has been building over the last couple of seasons. And I highly recommend that people go and take a look at that. And what it presents is a real willingness of Eddie Jones to continue to innovate within particularly the attacking shape and different roles of players within a team, which actually speaks to why he's been developing Marcus Smith ahead of somebody that's still a very capable and talented player like George Ford. Um, everybody sees the, um, the, the highlight reels of Marcus, Marcus Smith, but he's actually developing an international level, that consistency of gameplay that's matching what Eddie Jones is trying to do. So if we're looking at a general pass mark um, for Australian rugby, I think personally within this series, I'd be agreeing with what um, Harry was saying before with a minimum of a win and keeping all the other games body close, but really for a home game with a team that is fairly consistent in terms of the quality that we've had over the last couple of years, England have a couple of injuries coming across a few positions that are a little bit weaker. Um, I'm not saying that this is going to be an easy win by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm, I'm hoping for a win and I don't think I'm being completely unrealistic in hoping for that too. It's fair. Yeah. I, I think if I think if you looked at that series in isolation, agree, you want to win. But I, I think, as I mentioned to you guys offline, I'm looking at this whole year as a build-up. If we lost the series, say, 2-1, I mean, 3-0 loss, like last 2016, would be an yeah. utter disaster. If we lost it narrowly, 2-1, but then we built and got better through the year and won four out of five tour games, for me, that's a massive pass because that shows that we're starting to – we can get better 
with more games under our belt, we can build and we can, and we can play well away from, from, from Australia. You know, we, we got to start winning games confidently outside of Suncorp. When we start doing that, you know, then I think we can really be confident that we can go to France next year and take on anyone because we know we can beat any team in the world on our day. But it's just that consistency that we haven't, we haven't shown for a long time. We also haven't shown yet that we can win outside of Queensland. So that, <laughs> um, that might help because we, we play the second test in, in Queensland and then next week, this weekend's in Perth. So it'll be interesting to see how we go over there and if we can well, match our, the Our Perth record figures. was good was good until we started um, playing Bledisloe Cups there. Yeah, we started talking about it, mate. So you just got to like not talk about your good record and then it'll be fine. Um, now, Rev in his absence has sent through a couple of things which are really interesting for us to be discussing when we're talking about the Wallabies. And he puts forward, it's worthwhile noting that in our last home series, we only used 27 of the 39 players in the squad. So we should take, could we take a look at which positions are most likely to get a switch up or who may miss out? So I've got the Wallabies uh, squad up in front of me here. Maybe you guys, whilst I'm stalling, can have an opportunity on your devices to get the full um, 30 or so Wallaby squad up and see if there's a player that you can highlight that you don't think is going to be getting game time at uh, in this coming three-match series. And I'm going to start things off and I am going to suggest that Caden Neville, outside of injury, is not going to be getting a run at this level. Do we agree? Do we disagree? Who else I, do you think? Completely I agree. completely agree. Yep. Uh, he, Can I jump in, in with the too. obvious one? Yeah, oh, yeah still talking it. about this. I was going to say no, um, no, no, Sam Talakai shouldn't be anywhere near a Wallaby squatted. Yeah, he's Apparently. late. For people who don't know, he's a late injury call up for Harry Johnson Holmes. He did his Achilles. Uh, so thoughts go out to Harry. Do we know where that sits? Because Harry Johnson Holmes was technically selected in Australia A, but was training with the Wallabies because Tupo wasn't ready. So yeah. is Sam Talakai now training with the Wallabies and in the Wallabies or yeah, from social media, it looks like he's in, in Brisbane yeah, with the Wallabies he was in the main or squad. in Queensland. Yeah. So, yep. I think it's, um, I, I feel like he's filling a void there in the short term, but not going to be playing kind of thing. Like they don't want to just necessarily take rush someone out of Australia. A if Tubo is going to be playing next week. And I think it's pretty easy to say that all the late call ups aren't going to get game time. Yeah. Let's be honest. That's pretty hurtful. Um, I just want you to be careful <laughs> well, with the words you say about our Lord and Saviour Ned Hannigan. Um, but when another player that I don't think is going to see game time as much as I would love for it to happen is Izzy Parisi, unless we see an injury to one of our existing outside centres. I don't think he should be placed on the wing. I feel like he's played the entire season for the last two years at 13. Keep him there. Um, that's, that's my read on that. Anybody feel I, um, like he's going to get time? I, I think we could see him get a bit of a crack. Um, I think we would have seen him a little bit earlier throughout the year last year and or a few more opportunities, despite I think he had a few injuries as well. But I think he's a, potentially a very good 23 jersey for the Wallabies, um, can cover the outside centre, can cover the wing. And, and I think he is, you know, this thing, this kind of foil between what we have with Ikatao in terms of, you know, um, being a good attacker, although he wasn't as good this year, and Paisami, who's this, you know, can make a big hit, but also be a liability sometimes in defence. Uh, I, I think Parisi this year showed that he had the good attack, the good defence, and he actually had, you know, that that in-between ground between the two of them where they're both sort of lacking something. And 
I, I think for that reason, we will get to see him have a crack and it will probably be on a 23 jersey for mine. Yep, completely fair enough. All right, a couple more players that we think maybe won't be getting much game time. I'll shove out there Noah Lelisiu. I'm not sure if he's going to crack the starting team um, with James O'Connor re- supposedly returning back to fitness and Quade Cooper being one of the three overseas players. I guess so, the question with that selection comes down to whether Rennie views James O'Connor as a fullback option or not. Which, if he does, I don't understand that. He doesn't have the pace in my mind. He doesn't have the aerial ability. And he hasn't played at fullback. For he didn't like play there. Longer than that, oh, yeah. he's been in Queensland for the last couple of years and he was at Sale for a couple of years before that yeah. where he was playing 13. So, yeah, I don't see the logic within that su- supposed uh, position. Should the, should, should, should the third game be a dead rubber, mm. either, direct, either way, you do yep. wonder whether they'll actually um, yep. change, do something radical like play, you know, Jock 10 and uh, CO, um at 12 or put quite, quite oh, Cooper in, I- and just, just mix it up. Can I pick my dead rubber back line? Yeah, go. So <laughs> you start Tate, then yeah, okay. Give Jake, give Jake the run, mate. Yeah, Jake. Gordon can come bench. And then we go, I'll, I'll let James O'Connor have the, the crack at 10. I don't want to rush Tate Edmund in too quick. Then on the wings, we've got um, Vunavalu and Pattaya. In the centres, we've got um, Karevi and Parisi. Uh, so let's push Pattaya back to fullback um, and Korobidi on the other wing. So we've got Korobidi. Pattaya, Parisi, Vunavalu, Karevi, like that is some strike power. And you're only going to do it with the rubber. That could be the first test backline. <laughs> you're looking <laughs> for like a 50 to 51 match, I reckon, with that backline. They'll, they'll score 100, but you just, it depends on how many tries they let in. Yeah. It depends on I how think, many times they're required to kick as well. I want, I, want to, I want to know whether Vunavalu had some contractual uh, piece in there that he has to be in the Wallaby team because he should be in Australia, eh, as far as I'm concerned. He should be in Australia. I think he enough game time. I think, it, I think it would be great to see him in Australia. I'd love to see him, don't get me wrong, but I just think it's a bit premature for a guy that hasn't played much Super Rugby. Yeah, the scary thing about Nelson's uh, hypothetical team is they're going to have to do a 6-2 split on the bench, but it'll be six backs. So that way they can they can roll out the and, and they all pull their hammies. <laughs> Very well two, said. Two, 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 two po doubles as, a bat, as both back and forward. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we had a question come in from Sheepy, which asks, what is each person's most controversial pick to be included in next year's Rugby World Cup squad? So this is a big one. Looking ahead, um, based upon some outstanding performances which we're definitely going to see in this upcoming series what is your out there pick um if any of you say ryan wanagan or ned hannigan that's really going to hurt my heart so uh mitch we're going to start with you then we'll go to matt straight after so the question is outlandish pick controversial picks for the rugby (laughs) rugby world cup squad next year what okay controversial uh is rafael <laughs> if, if, controversy, if controversy is the the name of the game, right. then congratulations, right. you just it's, it's got to no, be possible, uh, doesn't it? He, he can't switch back anymore, can he? He hasn't no, played for him yet. He so. hasn't played yet. So we pick him. Oh, right, yeah, okay. have, we'd have to pick him now. He'd have to be playing for us. Yeah, yeah. There's a fifty fifty chance he gets himself booted. Let's be honest. So, <laughs> um, in all seriousness, maybe uh, Lewis Liner oh, as a controversial pick. Just pick him so that we keep him and and take him out of England's England's hands. Did you see what I put up on Twitter? I did. Yeah, we win the series, we get him. It's simple as that. I I like it. 
And if we lose this, and if we draw the series, he's Italian. Yep. It does does feel like the universe doesn't want him to play for England, I've got to say. Yeah. What is the There's a reason why he doesn't make the, make the final turn. Maybe his dad's exactly. just in his ear. <laughs> or in Eddie's ear. More like it. Oh, look, I can, I can tell you confidently when I spoke to Michael Liner for the documentary, what was that, two years ago now, and I asked him about his sons. He said they grew up loving Australia, both of them. So obviously they're attached to England. But yeah, I, I, I'm sure that they were probably thinking very hard about which direction they wanted to go to go in. I mean, it really, it does show a lot, doesn't it? That Tom's come out, come out here so young and signed with the Reds. Mm, Um, And he's the only one of that family so far that's emigrated back. So that's right. Yeah. All right, Matt, who's your outlandish pick? Look, I I sort of um, inferred it a bit before. I was talking about hooker, but it'd have to be Tolu Latu. Um, (laughs) He comes back next season um, I, yeah, he's the bad boy, but everyone loves a bad boy coming good. And, and I feel that in the current squad, depending on where, I mean, who knows where he lands, um, the Super Rugby team. Yeah, it's a guy like Rennie feels like the sort of, um, you know, the kind of the big uncle that can put an arm around him and try and sort of steer him. Well, he's a good player. He's got natural ability to, you know, and, and you know, it's just a question of do we want to go down the path of selecting guys who are solid or, you know, if these top players from overseas are available, like they are, without having to um, eat into the wild cards, you can't really ignore them. So, you know, sure. he, he's obviously got a lot of work to do in his sort of off-field, but if he comes back and has a good season next year playing for whoever he plays, they can't – it'd be very hard for them to ignore him. Surely Mate, Dave Rennie's um, got a no-tool policy. I think everyone has an old tool policy, but at the end of the day, every tool could be sharpened. So, I mean, you know, you got to. That is wisdom for the ages there. I am, um, I've got this brilliant um, routine going where my six year old, when, when I'm giving him bath in the evening, he, he goes, Dada, can we watch some rugby? And I'm like, yes, mate. What, what game do you want to watch? And he's like, oh, can we watch the Waratahs tonight? I'm like, let me roll back to 2014. <laughs> so we got the final out and we're tracking through. I jump forward to the 76th minute um, when, who was it? Stephen Donald got the um, penalty to um, take, take the Crusaders. No, 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 but um, to, to kick it over in the 76th Holy. minute. Before that, the Crusaders getting the lead. Anyway, oh. who cares? Um, then um, the resulting lineup no that came that. after after the re- um, restart of play, Tolu Ladu has just come onto the field replacing Tatafa Porta now, and he just throws the shonkiest line out ever. Not as bad as Richie Asiata's earlier this season, but it just reminded me that Australian rugby has this perennial problem of hookers that just cannot throw. Um, so I just that that was a bit of a walk down memory lane of oh yeah. Okay, it's nearly 10 years later and we still have an issue with hookers being able to throw straight. Uh, so <laughs> that's a little bit worrying. Um, let's go to the Dales. Who are your who are your controversial picks for a Wolby squad for the Rugby World Cup? I'll let Harry steal mine. I'm going big Marky Nawanganitawasi. Learn to defend wow. this year, slowly learning to get into the right position. We need a fullback. He's amazing oh. under the high ball. Oh. He can finish. I think he's got the the talent to make it in the, the international kick? scene, and he'll how, be young. How, like, don't get me wrong; I'm probably not starting him, not next year. How much? How much has Balamba paid you? This is outrageous. Mate, <laughs> <laughs> right, he's he's foreseen it. He's it's been foretold. He's yeah. seeing it. He's getting paid in um, Sydney University physio contracts or something like that. <laughs> <I think>. um, <laughs> but let's go, Nelson. Look at. I'm just going to strongly disagree with Harry because that was mine and he stole it. So um, I'm going to go Isaac Lucas. Oh. Uh, 
versatile oh, yes. weapon that I really just want to have seen get a chance in, in the Wallabies. And it's a big call to pick one of your three international picks as an outside chance of the squad. Oh, and I honestly, <laughs> honestly, Quaid's going to be too old. We're going to have good locks. You know, so it's going to be like, he'll sorry, sign. sorry, Arnold. No, no. He's, sorry, Corin Betty. We're taking Lucas. He's going to sign back in Australia. <laughs> no, he's not. He's got a two year contract, mate. He's going to sign after that. And it <laughs> doesn't matter. So he's going to sign back in Australia and he will. Everyone's going to get injured, but he's going to come on and score the match winning try and convert it in the grand final. I, I, I have a feeling if you sign, is it like if you sign towards the back end of next season, you'll then qualify. You then, uh, yeah. Yeah, you can be yeah, qualified. So, guys, there's a bunch of players that could qualify as of you know June next year or whatever it is. Before I think, I think Nick White time. played a full season overseas, still signed for Australia the following year, last World Cup, wasn't it? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. 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 And then, as soon as the Premiership finished, he came back for this time, this this part of the kind of international season yeah. in the mid year, then in the lead up to um, the yeah all the following international games later in August and stuff. Um, all right, team. My my player is Ryan Warnigan because he'll he'll creep into the kind of thirty two man squad. Then as as that third choice. Um, so who's your replace? Who does Why he replace? am I not surprised? That's the rule, right? Who does he, <laughs> who does he replace? Pretty easily, Tay McDermott. Oh, um, that's not <laughs> Jake have, Gordon. You've got to have Jake Gordon in there, obviously. Right. Have you been down at Moore Park smoking the same drugs as Hamish McLennan, <laughs> Ando? I can only, I can only dream them. of breathing the same rarefied air that he, um, he in, <laughs> inhales. Um, I don't know. If that you should actually go down. I'm sure they'll let you guys in the building. I might, I might be on the blacklist <laughs> these days. <laughs> oh, on that news, um, we'll be Mitch. Do you want to say your happy news about what's happening in two weeks' time? Yeah. So we have sorted out media accreditation for the England series, which is very exciting for pick and drive. So I'll be heading to Brisbane hopefully next weekend. We're not going to Perth this weekend because um, we can't justify a six-hour flight. So I'll be heading to Brisbane next weekend, um, attending the press conference. Very scared that Eddie Jones will literally eat me, um, but it will be fun. So we'll be able to answer, ask your questions our fans' questions to the coaching staff and the players. Fantastic. And then we've got it for Sydney as well, so we didn't have to fork out um, a new mortgage to get a ticket. Exactly. So we'll both be at the SCG match, which is pretty pretty fun. Um, so, guys, that actually brings us to the end of the show and the end of the Rumble. That has been a load of fun. I've really enjoyed having the opportunity to chat all things Aussie rugby, to get into the nitty and gritty about the challenges that Australian rugby has moving forward. Uh, because as much as we all love Australian rugby, there are many question marks over what it looks like moving forward. And so it's good mm. to be able to hash a few of those out. I don't think we came to any answers, but we definitely asked a lot of great questions. So ladies and gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure to all of you here, to the Dales, to Matt, to Mitch. It's been an absolute pleasure. Sorry that Rev wasn't able to make it. Gentlemen, thank you so much and have a great week. Great. Up the Rams. Thanks, guys.